then if you want to rest, I'll be at home if that's what you want to do. Seven horses. So, Adriga, what we have coming up? Yes. So, you know, they, they put this uh, announcement in and not knowing that I was actually going to be a part of it. But super excited yeah. because our youth is actually about to have their Cairo, their spring Kairos weekend. Excellent. April 1st through April 3rd. Please get your kids signed up. What is exciting about that for me is that they actually asked me to preach at one of the, one of the ahead, sessions. So, you know, if you want your kids to learn about sin from your mental health counselor, <laughs> I got you. Sign so please sign them up. The deadline, I'm pretty sure it's going to be April 1st. So get all those kids in. They'll be right here at Greenhouse Church this uh, coming April. Oh, yeah. very exciting. All right, mm -hmm. guys. So we're going to cut to last week's sermon recap. Mm -hmm. Pass the mic. John, they're going to seek the Lord, and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says they say, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter says, I don't have silver, I haven't gone to medical school, but I've got this, I've got Jesus. And here's the principle, friends, whatever you have, you need to give it. Whatever is going on on the inside of us, that's what we have to give. The question is, what's going on on the inside of you? The tragedy of our day is not that there is not authority on the earth, it's that those that have been delegated authority do not know that they have it. See, there are problems on earth that will only be solved with the authority of heaven, and that comes in Jesus' name. All right. Thank you, Pastor Mike. What a good word. I absolutely Always. love that sermon. So I wanted to talk about our annual report, you guys. Yes. We just had a meeting last yes. Wednesday about all that God did in 2021. Absolutely. You guys, it was incredible. We got to see just everything that he did from missions to giving mm -hmm. to it was great. So if you're yeah. interested, check it out on Greenhouse website. We have it on there with all the details about kids ministry and youth and how everyone did and what God did and miracles and all the stories. So yeah. please check it out. I'm very excited about it. Yes. I love that we are just wanting to keep ourselves accountable, especially in this yes. day and age. So super yes. proud of Greenhouse, proud of Pastor Mike for leading us that way. And thank you, God, for everything that you did. So yes. speaking of loving yes. God and, and loving people, I want to bring up, bring up something super important. So again, I'm I may not be on staff anymore, but that does not stop me from serving, okay? So, Come serve. as you many of you may know, <laughs> Easter is coming quickly approaching, and yes. we need your help to pull this off. So we're having yep. two, four, six different services on Easter Sunday, and we Come need serve. your help. So when you get to church um, on this Sunday, make sure you grab one of these serve cards. If not, I'm sure you can fill it out online, but we want you to be a part of this. We want to, yes. I want you to help us bring in the kingdom of God to those who have never heard. You know, yes. Easter is the come to church, be good to God day be nice to god day so we need your help to love people well and bring them into the fold so that they're part of our family yes. too so yeah yes. anything you want to add to that i mean there's a lot of serving opportunities you guys like even if you don't even come on saturday night service please go to the yes. sock ministry service they're having one downtown gainesville serving the homeless oh wow and it's going to be really great so if you want to serve on sunday and attend sunday also consider serving that saturday night connect with me. I'd love to connect you to them. I'm really excited about what yeah. they're doing downtown Gainesville. It's going to be radical for Jesus and for blessing the yeah. homeless com uh, community downtown. So please check it out. Yeah. Of course, there's, you know, like you said, there's like a thousand options on here to serve. You can kind of pick which one you like. Tech. Tech always needs some servers. People behind the camera. Greenhouse kids. Out. Greenhouse kids. For um, sure. 
We do also have our Wednesday night prayer meetings. Yes. They are yes. back. Yes. We had them on Mondays, but now we switched Mondays to mm -hmm. Wednesdays. So every Wednesday, come worship and pray together. Absolutely. It's a really great time. Last week was obviously different because we had a meeting. Mm -hmm. But moving forward, we're going to have all of our prayer meetings every Wednesday. So, yep. yeah. So I'm sure we'll be there praying about Easter. Mm -hmm. And I also want to do a quick shout out to George Munoz, hey. John Dizzle. Hello, Hi. everybody on Church Online. We're so glad that you joined us. Again, I'm happy to be back here. I'm happy to be in the house of God yes. with my people tonight, today. today um, so yes. join us for worship. Stick around. Get on your feet. Go Amen. ahead and jump on in to worship. Bye, See y'all later. I want to invite you to stand to your feet and join us this morning. We're going to worship Jesus. All right, come on. Here we go. One thing into the night, wanting a place to hide this weary soul, this vagabond. Yeah. And I try with all my might, but I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting, oh, a vagabond. Come on, sing it out. Just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know, and he told me that I was not alone.
we know you're here we know you're moving so father we lay down every distraction in full and total surrender to you
Because he first loved us. Resurrected King is resurrecting. Come on. 
Come on, cause our God has robbed us. Yes, he has. Cause our God has robbed us. Oh, take your Jesus. Oh, your name, your name is victory.
serve a good God, amen. The resurrecting king is resurrecting me. I want everyone to close your eyes and lift your hands. And let's just reflect on that, that God is resurrecting us. We get to celebrate Easter in a couple weeks, and we know that we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But God has resurrected us. He has placed us and seated us with him on the throne of God, you know, at his right hand. We have authority in the name of Jesus. We learned that last week. Our God is just so good to us, and we're so grateful to him. So we just consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to come before his throne today to say thank you, Father, for all that you do, to say thank you for all that you've done for us. Our cry, our heart is that we want you, that we want to know you, Father. And during this time of worship, Lord God, it's just an honor to lift our hands and to give you the glory, to give you the honor, to give you the praise that is due your name for you have been so good and you are worthy, Father. You are glorious, you are magnificent, you are wonderful, you are such a righteous God, and we just thank you for your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, amen. Let's give it up for our worship team as well. Praise the Lord. So let's just take a moment before you grab your seats to look around and greet someone, give them a high five or a hug, introduce yourself. Let's welcome each other to church this morning. If you're visiting us with us for the very first time uh, here in person, I want to ask that you raise your hand really high so that we can acknowledge you. I see that hand there. Amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. I see those hands back there. We won't embarrass you or anything, but if you're visiting with us here in person, we ask that at the end of service that you visit uh, the You Belong Here area just outside of the main sanctuary to your right. Uh, we just want to acknowledge you, get to know you, and we have a special gift for you as well. You can grab a uh, coffee or tea from Arnold's, uh, our cafe, and again, just we want to say thank you for visiting with us here at Greenhouse. If you're visiting online for the first time, you can text GUEST to the number on the screen. So let's uh, pay attention to the screen for, uh, for our week's announcements. Hello and welcome here at Greenhouse, where we are helping ordinary believers become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm Janine, and I have a few announcements for you. Easter is fast approaching and we need you. We have an opportunity to reach more people than we have in a really long time. and We want to be ready to serve them well. On your seat, we place an Easter serve card. Please fill out the serve card or scan the QR code for the online form. You can go to our welcome desk for more information and you can drop your completed cards there. Join us in impacting those that may be far from God that will take Easter as an opportunity to draw near to Him. Another way that you can serve is to join us for our 21 days of experiencing the cross from March 28th to April 17th. You can sign up by texting the word cross on the number on the screen. You will receive reminders with a link to a daily devotional guide, which also includes a Bible reading plan focused on the days leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
As a community on mission, you can share this as well with coworkers, family, and friends. Again, to join the journey, text the word CROSS to the number on the screen. We've revamped our Greenhouse app and are excited to show you all the new resources. Go ahead and scan this code to download it now. You can view content such as sermons from our different cities around the state, find a microchurch, view our weekly kids' church content, and watch our live church online stream. It also sets you up to easily give, join in our Bible reading plan. You can even opt in to receive notifications based on the campus that you attend so you don't miss anything. Here's how you do that. Click on the top left here, then click settings, notifications, select your campus, then you're good to go. We'll think you'll love it. You can keep up with us throughout the week on social media or review any of these announcements on our website bulletin. If you're not currently plugged into a microchurch, make this your week to find your community at Greenhouse. Visit our microchurch booth in the lobby after service. I'm Janine, live green. Thank you, Janine. As we mentioned, we do have serve cards on your seats. I want you to take a moment to grab a serve card next to you. Uh, turn it around and let's take a look at it real quick. One thing that we are is we're really excited about Easter coming up. We know it's a time where we'll have uh, very large attendance, so a lot of people will come out for Easter, but we wanna be able to serve them well when they do, and so we need you. And so we wanna take a few seconds uh, in service today for you to fill out this serve card. Uh, you can give us your name, email, phone, and then your preferred service time. So there are various times that we can, uh, we'll have services on Easter weekend. So we'll have a Saturday service at 6 p.m., a sunrise service at 7 a.m. outside in the back, Sunday at 9, 11.15, and we will have our services at the University Auditorium on Florida's campus, University of Florida's campus. So there's several different areas where we'd like for you to serve, whether it's kids, hospitality with our tech, uh, production team, maybe even working the camera for a weekend, but we do need you to serve, so I want you to grab those cards, fill them out, and you can turn them in at our welcome desk as you exit the main sanctuary. We also want to tell you about several micro churches that we have starting, so I want to uh, invite up uh, Michael Anthony and Richard and Elizabeth Hanselman to come on up and join us. Let's clap for them as they come. We want our Sundays to be great, but we know that discipleship happens during the week. And so they'll tell you about uh, some new micro churches that we have started. Good morning, everyone. Many of you who may see me or know me probably would be surprised to learn that for 25 years of my adult life, I suffered from clinical depression and anxiety. You know, Christians, as Christians, sometimes we can sprain an ankle. Sometimes Christians get a devastating diagnosis of cancer and Christians can also fall under the heavy cloud of depression but I have good news you see the world pushes you away but Jesus says in Matthew 11:28, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden Jesus invites us in and I am inviting you to come with me and embark on a journey based on this book out of the cave I will be asking, answering any questions uh, after the service because I'll tell you something, being on the other side, there isn't just a solution, there is total deliverance. Good morning, I am Michael. I have been coming to this church for a little less than three years. Um, three years ago, I was a broken shell of a man I had recently been stabbed 
Um, I was still gang affiliated and I had to go everywhere with my bandana, my gun, and I had to have my back against the wall. And this church's beautiful idea and approach of making you feel like you belong before they ever expect you to believe and making sure that you believe before they ever expect you to behave is the reason why I had the opportunity to be the man that I am today. And praise God, praise God. And I was working with the homeless demographic at that time. I'm currently working with a slew of the homeless demographic, mental health, afflicted, and those that abuse substances, and that has become a consuming part of them. Um, and it's the same, it's the same things holding them back that was holding me back. It's the shame, it's the stigmas, it's the opinions, it's all of the things that people tell us and then we adopt and tell ourselves. And if we're to exemplify Christ, we have to have a warm handoff and a warm hug to welcome them into the kingdom. So every Saturday from 6 p.m. to 8 a.m., uh, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., that would be a really long microchurch. Oh. <laughs> so from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. every Saturday night, me, Mr. Richard, along with five other beautiful people that have been delivered from all, all types of ailments will be meeting and loving on those that need just that. There is no expectation, there is no standard of behavior. If you are broken and you just want somebody to hang out with without being at risk, you are welcome. If, if you know somebody that needs help and you don't know how to help them, we are more than happy to talk to you. Or if you have battled and been delivered from your demons and you want to help others do the same, you are welcome. So regardless of where you are in the fight or how your life is looking, we will be glad to have you. I love you and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and you can meet uh, Michael, Richard, and Elizabeth at our Michael Church area at the end of service. Now it's time for us to receive our tithes and offerings. Of course, if you are visiting for the first time, this is not for you. Uh, you don't know how we steward our resources here at Greenhouse, but for all of our family, regular attendees, it's time to give. One quick update from last week was that uh, we were able to uh, support Ukraine and uh, a Ukraine uh, mission, a mission in Ukraine, basically to provide resources to people on the ground there, but also to be able to help those that couldn't leave. Uh, so there were some individuals that uh, we talked about last week where they couldn't leave Ukraine because either, you know, they had mental health issues or some other uh, factor. But basically, we were able to. Uh, support two trucks full of supplies for the people in Ukraine. We Our goal was one, but we got two. So yes, let's clap for that. And it's just another way where we give here at Greenhouse. Our goal and our endeavor is to give 50% of everything that we come in to both local and international mission. And so it's just great to be at a church that uh, really looks outside of itself and gives generously. So you can see the information on the screen in terms of how to give, I'll pray, and then we'll hear a word from our pastor, Mike. So Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to give. Uh, we thank you for this church that uh, just continues to give of ourselves and really see ourselves in terms of radical, being radically generous, Lord. And that's what we wanna be. We wanna be radically generous to serve you, to serve your kingdom and to bless people. And we thank you that every week we take it as an opportunity to do so in Jesus' name, amen.
more time for Patrick and the worship band. I mean, they just are so good, so rich. I feel like I feel like I don't even need to preach. I feel like our microchurch has kind of preached for me. So, Michael, if you want to come up and preach, you know, um, I'm, I just love, I, I love this church. I love who we are. I love what we do. It's just really great to be a part. And so I'm excited to preach with you. Uh, I am not Pastor Mike. I am Pastor Matt, but that's okay, Byron. It's all good, man. Uh, no, but I oversee, I oversee the, in case anybody gets you know, confused, I oversee the microchurches here at Greenhouse. And I am, I'm excited to share with you guys from the Book of Acts from our Great Awakening series. So far, I mean, we've seen kind of a highlight reel of the early church. Acts 1, Jesus literally gets ascended in front of the disciples. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls, tongues of fire, different languages released. The the, the book of church, or the book of Acts church in Acts 2, 42 through 47, this radical lifestyle that they live. Acts 3, 1 through 10, this guy who hasn't stood for decades just straight up stands up and walks. I mean, things are popping in the early church. And I don't know about you, I read these accounts and I just get so jacked up. I'm like, come on, Jesus. I want to go to Publix and be like, you stand up and walk. You're here. Like, I just want to like, uh, you know, you just want to go do it. That adventure, the life of being filled with God's power and his love. I mean, it's just so infectious. But doing is always preceded by being. All right, so Peter's about to do something really powerful here in this passage in Acts 3, 11 through 20. And so I want to look at that with you this morning. If you stand up one more time, just here at this church, we, we stand as we kind of honor God's word and who he is and how he brings himself to life through this autobiography, if you will, from the Holy Spirit. So let me read Acts 3, 11 through 20 for you this morning. It says, they rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where this man who had just been healed was holding tightly to Peter and John. And Peter saw his opportunity, and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power and godliness? For, is it, for it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, before Pilate's, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected the holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you glory and honor in this church today. And we pray that you would speak through your word so that we may receive for your name and your glory. If you agree with that, could you say amen? Amen. 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 Have a seat. All right, so we see a lot of action here in Acts 1 through 3, but then we get to Acts 3, 11 through 20, and Peter starts to get all theological on the Jews here. This is the first break in the book of Acts from the demonstration of the Spirit's power, and the writer of Acts, Luke, starts to ground the church in the truth and the reality of Christ in God. And I know preachers will sometimes say things like, you put Jesus on the cross, right? But, but, but Peter's literally, he's literally talking to the people who use their vocal cords in the square to yell, crucify him, crucify him, right? But even with that being the case, Peter preaches about the hope found in Christ for even the Jews who gave their nod of approval for the death of the Messiah. Talk about amazing grace. 
And there's also a hidden theological gem in here that I want to unearth as well. It's kind of a paradigm-shifting thought that you can find throughout scriptures that I want to share with you this morning. Uh, my friend Jeff Vanderstel, he preached a few weeks ago. He shared this with me, so I want to give credit where it's due. But it really does have the potential to change how you view and read scriptures if it hasn't already. So check out Acts 3, 19 through 20. Again, it says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. It's a really interesting pairing, isn't it? A lot of times we don't usually pair repentance with refreshing. Right, let's do a case study. Like when you hear the word repent, what's the first kind of stuff that you start to think of? A lot of us, it's kind of like fire, condemnation, judgment. Or if you think about the emotions that come when somebody says repent, you know, we kind of get, we either feel guilt or we feel shame or we feel uh, even just this, that pit in the stomach, you did something wrong or you got busted, you know. Um, for that, it's, it's the response of most people, but, but Peter's about to glow up repentance here by associating it with refreshing. See, Peter uses a gospel paradigm with the Jews that's very different than anything else you're going to encounter in this world. Now, it's easy to miss because we get wrapped up because Peter is really bringing some heat in this passage. I mean, did you, have you noticed that? I mean, he's not holding back punches. If you want somebody who has radical candor and just kind of tells you as it is, man, Peter is your guy. But notice Peter's first move. He kind of Jesus jukes, right? And then he, he, he defers to God. People want to go straight to what Peter did, the healing, but Peter doesn't allow the conversation to start there. See, this is where the world starts the conversation, with what we do, right? What's the first question somebody asks you when they first meet you? So, what do you do, right? Or what happens if you say, hey, man, how, how's it going? Or, hey, girl, how, how are you doing? I'm busy, right? I'm so busy. I've just got so much to do. It's crazy. There's a lot on my plate. See, the world starts the conversation here with doing, and that's still the case even in the first century. Back to the conversation. Peter, what did you do? But that's not where the gospel starts the conversation. And this is key. See, Peter, again, in Acts 3.12, Peter saw his opportunity. He addressed the crowd, people of Israel. What's so surprising about this? Why do you stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power and godliness? See, Peter doesn't start with what he did. He immediately focuses on who God is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, the all-consuming God, the healer of all people. And from God's being, Peter then points out God's doing, which overflows out of who he is, his being, right? People have literally just seen the miraculous work of God in the life of this once lame man who's now standing in front of them, holding on to Peter and John, who testifies to God's healing power. It's hard to deny power when someone you've known all your life who has never walked just starts standing up and walking, right? I mean, this is kind of an amazing scene here. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and you know was made strong. It's by Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he was completely healed in him, as you all can see. So God's being, the God who saves and heals, leads to God's doing, which brings about salvation, wholeness, life, and healing to those who believe in him, as we see with this man's life. And this is really interesting because the Greek word for salvation is sozo, right? And this means way more than just the forgiveness of sins. Don't water down the gospel to just mean that. It means the forgiveness of sins. It means deliverance from your enemy, which in this case is the devil, death hell, the great eternal separation from God, but it also means the idea of physically being healed, which is why you read in the scriptures, Psalm 103, two through three, bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. It's brought together. Isaiah 53, five, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him and by his wounds, you are healed. 
So you see these two realities coming together, and this man is utterly transformed, both physically and spiritually. His whole identity, his being is radically changed because God's being leads to God's doing, which in turn leads to our being. We are shaped into who we are in light of what he has done. Do you follow me on this? And this is what we call just our our being, right? God's being overflows into his doing. His doing overflows into our being or who we are. And the final element of this gospel paradigm that Peter's sharing is out of God's being comes his doing, which leads to our being, which in turn leads to our doing. We're made in his image. So if he's a God whose being is poured out in his doing, we are going to reflect that as our being pours out into our doing. All right, so what's the response to Peter after he's been transformed by this living God, by this man who just stood up and walked and has a salvific understanding of who Jesus is? What do they do? They share what has happened. They testify of his goodness and his salvation. Our being leads to our doing. When we know who we are, we are freed and allowed to overflow out of who we are in Christ. So this final gospel paradigm is God's being leads to God's doing, which leads to our being, which leads to our doing. Now the, very, the order very much matters here. So the technical terms of these first three movements are called indicatives. This is, this is what God's being is, what he's done. The final movement of this, our doing, is called an imperative. I know some of you college students, you're like, listen, I'm coming back from spring break, man. I came to church. I didn't come to another class. Preach and make me feel good. Sorry, not this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, you better listen. These two words might change your life. Indicative imperative. This is so huge. This is so huge because I think this is where the church has gotten it so wrong for so many years. Indicatives discuss who God is, what he is doing, what he's going to do. Imperatives are expressed with what we should do. It's important to realize that both of these are in the Bible, But it's also more important to realize that they have a relationship that we need to see that happens all throughout Scripture. And that is that the imperatives, what we do, are always flowing out of what he has done, is doing, or will do. The major problem with church, though, is a lot of times we focus exclusively on what we should do without first looking at who God is, what he's done, or who we are in light of that. And when we get the order wrong, the results are wrong as well. This is why a lot of church people have bitterness, frustration, they get anxious, and have shame. Because how this should work is this. What is true should lead us to what we do. This is a one-point sermon, y'all. What is true, indicatives, should lead us to what we do, imperatives. What usually happens in church circles, though, unfortunately, is we just hear the commands without the heart or the movement of the Spirit of God. See, church folks, we're really good at saying, girl, you ain't living right. You need to get your junk together. And we just focus on the do, do, do. What are you, what are you doing? You're not doing, hey, newsflash church, 95% of people know they're a hot mess, okay? They don't need you to come with a, like, religious arrogance and be like, girl, you know what you need to be doing, and you're just not doing it. Like, that, that's not what they need. Uh, we need to express and say and call out the things that are not of the Lord, but there's a better way to do that and a more biblical way in effectively leading people to change what they do. Because a lot of times, most people hear from the church, stop sleeping with your boyfriend, stop having sex with your girlfriend. And most people who don't know God or don't have a solid grasp on these indicatives, they respond with, uh, I don't want to stop doing that. I feel connected to my girlfriend. It feels good. I feel like in the act of sex, it makes me feel loved and wanted and desired, which are very deep needs of the human soul. So at some level, I get it. I I get that. 
Because if all you hear is stop sleeping with your boyfriend, then yeah, these life-giving biblical imperatives, they sound more like religious law and shackles, and they actually sound like joy killers that are removing intimacy and love from someone's life. If, it's a big if, and only if, we remove these imperatives from these indicatives. So you'll notice that more often than not, when we're told what to do in Scripture, it's usually preceded by a very meaty who God is and what he's done, the indicative. For example, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you haven't memorized this chapter, memorize it. That's one of your applications today. Man, this is so beautiful. It's so rich and full of who God is and what he's done. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above and not on earthly things. Or set, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is an example of an indicative. This indicative tells us of what God is doing. He saved you from a wandering and meaningless life and wrapped up your insecurity and your fledgling and frail identity into the radical, eternal security of Jesus in Christ, in God. The author of love, the creator of intimacy is now pouring that love into you freely whenever you desire. You want to talk about feeling loved and wanted? You were wanted so badly that God gave up the person he prized more than anyone, Jesus, so that he could be with you. Any parents in the room? Wave your hand if you're a parent. Okay, so, so I don't know about you, but I would never give my child up for someone, especially if they're in the wrong. I'm sorry, whatever chopping block you're about to go on to, if they're like, your daughters are them, them, I don't have to think about that, them, them, 100% of the time, it's them. If you're asking, is it a Lathe or Adelaide or some random person, rando gets the deal. Give it to them. Maybe, I, I, maybe I'm just not holy enough, to, I'm not holy enough now to get there, but maybe I will, but one day. But this is not the reality with God. He wanted you and he loved you so badly that he said, I am going to give my everything so that you can receive and be and feel and be engaged with the love and the desire that so deeply penetrates your soul. And because of this, his, because of his great love, his son, Christ is your life. He is your source. He's your identity. He's your hope. He's your security. He's your strength. The ultimate relationship that gives life to you. And when he returns, he's going to wrap you up in an even more fuller understanding of glory and love and eternity with him. The intimacy and love of sex pales in comparison to the all-consuming reality that the life and love of God is being poured into you. And when we understand the vastness of this sacrifice, when we truly meditate on what that means that God gave up his son so that we could be loved and in relationship with him, the response to those indicatives as Paul did in Romans 12, one is in view of that mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now with that indicative in mind, Let's read on, Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore. Therefore is always a key word in scripture because what you've heard, because of the great love that God has for you and how he's truly going to satisfy the deepest part of your being, therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Therefore, it's big because again, it's pointing back to your identity, your new life, the absolute core of who you are and the intimacy that you have found and the desire that is now satisfied in Christ, not in your sex, not in your sexuality, not in the fickle love of some man or woman who statistically, by the way, is going to break up with you or you're going to break up with them. 
Your identity is not wrapped up in these things. Therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, which is no longer your nature anymore, as the indicative said. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Translation, sex and money are not your identity anymore. They do not define you. That is not who you are. That is not who you are. So why would you try to go to something that's not going to satisfy you anyway? Or you can look at it through this gospel lens, this gospel paradigm, right? God is the author of right and harmonious relationships. It's who he is. It's in his being. And so out of that being comes doing. In the Trinity, he is in perfect, harmonious relationship with himself. He's in perfect relationship with you and with creation. And when we are made in his likeness, our being, um, we, we, we want to respond in that same sense. So when we are in right relationship with each other, in this case, Colossians 3, 1 through 5, in our sexuality, when we're in marriage, what we do, sex is rooted and rounded in the intimacy that leads to life. If not, it doesn't. So why settle for sex with a boyfriend or a girlfriend that there's a 90% chance the relationship's not going to last anyway and a 100% chance you're not going to be deeply satisfied because of it? You weren't meant for unsatisfaction. You were reborn into the newness and the security in Christ. So church, don't settle for anything less. That isn't who you are. But if we don't pair these indicatives with these imperatives, we miss the fact that what is true leads to what we do. And if what is true, what I said, then we don't need to find that love and acceptance elsewhere. And that is true. Jesus is your identity. Your value is found in him. The love you're looking for is poured out by him. Who he is, the loving God, is shown by what he's done. He's given his son for you so that you could be forever secure in your identity. That's who you are. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change the eternal reality for those who are in Christ. Indicatives don't change ever. But Matt, what if, what if I sin? Does God still love me? Yes. But what if I like, I mean, big time, I mean, like big time sin. Is he, I mean, he's going to be, at least he's going to be a little upset. No, no. Your identity remains the same. You're still a son or daughter in God if you professed faith in him and you're living in that reality. Follow me here, okay? What you do does not change who you are because who you are is because, what, because of what Jesus has done. So now, why would your standing change because of something else you do? You follow me on that? Now, in these moments, you might just be straight in rebellion. You're like, I don't care. I'm just going to do it anyways. I would argue that most of us are just simply forgetting who we are in those moments. We all, like Simba, have gone astray, right? You remember Lion King where, where he's like kind of doing his thing and he doesn't remember who he is and that weird monkey Rafiki like takes him through this random thing. Uh, can anybody, like stranger danger, man. This guy, why would you follow him through these things? He goes to the, this pond and he looks in and he sees his father's reflection and I have like a Mickey Mouse voice. I can't do James Earl Jones, but he was like, Simba, remember who you are, right? And here's this king who's living like some punk outcast, he remembers his identity. He lines up to who he really is and he takes his throne. Sometimes I think we just need a reminder from our father who we really are, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, we are sons and daughters of the one true living God. And when we really believe who we are, that changes what we do. Now, this is not cheap grace. This is not a cop-out to go do whatever you want, 
and say, oh, well, you know what? I mean, it's not who I am, but I'm going to do it. If you're doing that, if you're just trying to find ways around the rules, you don't really understand the indicatives here. You haven't truly embraced the realities of Christ. And this is not a condemnation thing. This is a holy invitation into the reality of who God is and who you are in him. Because if it's true, what is true leads you to what you do. Again, the problem is we focus on the imperatives, we minor on the indicatives. I think the majority of the American church functionally believes that we're saved by faith and we keep it through works. When I watch how people live their lives, this is, this is, this is the truth that they're saying in their head. But what you do never gave you the title or the freedom to become a child of God. John 1.12 says, yet to all who, what? Received him to those who believe in his name. He gave the right. He gave the right to become children of God. Who gave the right? God. Why? Not because of what you did, but because of what Christ did. That is all. What Christ did and what he did gave you access, not your good works. If you trust and believe in Jesus, it changes everything. It changes everything. I don't want to ask you two just very candid questions. I'm not going to have you be like, turn to your neighbor and share what you think. But, like, but what I'm going to do is ask you to just answer honestly in your mind and your heart. Okay, so just this is, these are the two questions. The first is, when you're bad, how do you think God feels about you? Like when you just sinned, when you just cheated on a test, when you just bad-mouthed your friend, when you didn't stand up for what you knew, like when you were just in the moment, how do you think God feels about you? And the next question is, when you're good, how do you think God feels about you? I'm talking about when your quiet times are rocking, when you are memorizing your scripture, when you went to Publix and you did tell the cashier the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, when, when you gave your sandwich to the homeless guy and you're just like, just call me the Apostle Paul because I am killing it right now, right? I mean, when, when you're having just one of those good spiritual days, how do you think God feels about you then? And if you're like the majority of people, you probably said something along the lines of, when I do bad, God is disappointed in me. If I'm honest, that's how I feel. Or, man, God's removed himself from me. He feels very far from me. Or you remove yourself from him. And you say, well, ah, man, I just feel so bad, Lord. I don't even feel like I'm worthy to enter into your presence. But when you're good, you're like, all right, who's your favorite kid, Jesus? It's this guy. It's this guy. Right? I mean, so the problem is if you have different answers to those questions, then you need to shift your notion of the gospel and salvation. Because if you're following Jesus, God does not view you any differently whether you are doing good or bad. If God's being leads to God's doing, which leads to our being, then our works are not a part of the equation of how God views us. Why is this so hard to grasp? Because there's nothing like this in the world. We've talked about this already. Everything in the world is based on what you do, not who you are. This is the great error of Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. The serpent convinced Adam and Eve that by eating of the tree, and more generally, what they did, it would make them more like God. The deep irony of this situation is they were already like God. 
They were in his image. They had full access to him relationally. They had everything they needed for life and godliness. But they bought into the lie that what you do will make you who you are. And that is something we still fall for thousands of years later. Because our God has the ability to wipe away your sins. This is what Peter just said. And Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far will he remove our transgressions from us. And that's good news because ain't nobody else gonna do it for you. Everybody's gonna hold it against you. Even though we try not to, it's still hard for us to forgive and forget. God just forgets. Let me ask you a question. Let's say I I walk off off the stage and I walk to you and I'm like, hey, it looks like I'm about to give you a a handshake. And I go, boop, and just pop you right in the face. And then I stand over you like this. What are you gonna do about it? And you're like, dude, that is a skinny guy. I could take him. Right? So most of you are like, I would punch you back. And of course, that's not the church answer. I know we're not going to say that here, but that would probably happen. Why? Because there are consequences for me punching you in the face. Right? Does this change my standing as a son of God? No. Even if I lost my temper, got out of the pulpit, and punched you in the face, that doesn't change my standing before God. Because my being is based on what God has done for me, not altered by my doing. Now, there are consequences to what you do. If you punch somebody, you're probably gonna get punched back. If you embezzle money from your job, you're probably gonna get fired. If you gossip about your friends, they're not gonna be your friends anymore. But that doesn't change how God views you. This is why grace is so scandalous and so hard for people to truly receive. But when we truly believe that God is who he is and what he's done in Christ leads to who we are, then what is true leads us to what we do. Our ways are transformed not because we try harder. We are not transformed by conforming to the doing pattern of this world. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. When we truly understand in our minds that it is in light of God's being and God's doing, that's who we are, then our actions start to shift and our mind is renewed. Our identity dictates what we do, not the other way around. Our identity dictates what we do. When we believe, when we meditate on these realities, it changes not who we are because we've already been changed, but it changes what we do. And we start to become more like Christ. So one of the big applications today is we need to just stop skipping steps and tell ourselves the right story. Don't go to what you're doing or not doing immediately and be worried about whether you're gonna be a good little Christian or a bad little Christian. No, start with God's being, who he is and what he's done and let that, just meditate on that for a second. Man, God is a loving God. He hates sin and he is going to above, but, but man, he, he loved me that he gave his son to me. He, what he did is he gave Jesus and because of that, I am changed, I am transformed, I am made new in his likeness and in his image and then start thinking about your doing. Because when we start encountering our failures or the failures of others, we need to get really good at telling ourselves the right story. Don't start at the end. It ruins it if you start at the end. Right? Have you ever been watching a movie? I was watching a movie, and it was one of those like spy movies that had like a quadruple cross. You know, you don't know who's, who's it's going to. You think it's going to be this person, but it's not. And then it ends up being, you know, the random mom or whatever. Um, I'm super excited about this movie. I'm watching with my wife and her family. And three minutes into the movie, Susie, her mom is like, I can't believe he's the one. He murdered her. I'm like, I'm like, Susie, why would you tell me? It's three minutes into the movie. You just ruined the whole thing. She's like, well, I didn't want you to be scared. I'm like, what do you think we watch movies for? We want to get that feeling. And it was just one of those things where I just walked out. I'm like, I can't watch this movie. Or like the, uh, what's the one with Bruce Willis? The um, um, Sixth Sense. Somebody told me, she's like, I can't believe he was a ghost. I was like, oh my God. 
thanks. I still haven't watched that movie to this day. That was my senior year of high school. I was like, you ruined it for me. And we just don't want to do it anymore. It doesn't work when you start at the end. And it doesn't work when we start at the end of the gospel paradigm. It just doesn't work. It sucks the joy out of the experience. If we miss all the meat in the front end and we just talk about, what we oh, by the way, you just can't do it like that. The only way to truly experience the depth of God's desire for us is to take repentance deep. Verses 19 and 20, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I want to be really clear because a lot of times we see repentance more like dodging the bullet of damnation than repentance being the gateway into the life and life abundantly that God promised us. I think a lot of us get stuck in the religious middle. Repentance is not just avoiding death. It is the refreshing of life and life abundantly. So what are, these, what are these, re- these refreshing times that Peter's talking about? When you, pre- when you repent and you can confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, meaning he has saved you from your sins and eternal separation from God, you begin following him, not just as Savior, but as Lord, which means you follow and do what he says. If that's true, after that initial confession of faith, after that first time of saying, Jesus, forgive me, I put my trust in you, do you know what? You really don't have to ask for forgiveness ever again. So my family went out to eat a few months ago. Ichiban is my favorite restaurant. I love sushi. I could eat it every day. I'm just not rich enough to do that. Um, but we went, and it was just one of those nights. They had this nice patio outside. It was like a beautiful day. And so we go, and we're starting to eat out there. And it's just us. And there's one guy who kind of came like halfway through our meal, and he's kind of eating by himself over there. Um, and it was one of those days. We were, I forget. We were celebrating something. I was like, all right, kids, we're getting whatever you want. I got sushi. I got sashimi. My kids got fried rice. I mean, the bill was racking up. It was just kind of one of those days where I'm like, I don't even care. We're just going to do it, right? And so, great meal. We had a good time. And, and I go to pay, pay the meal. And the, the waitress is like not taking my card. I'm like, hey, hey. I'm like, girl, if you don't want me to pay, I'm not going to pay. This isn't like, I'm okay with that. She's like, well, hold on. I'll just be right back. She goes inside. She comes back out. She's like, hey, just so you know, somebody paid for your meal. I was like, I was like, that's what I'm talking about. I was like, nah. I was like, jokes on them. <laughs> they didn't know what we bought, but and so she said, it's actually that man over there. I didn't know who he was. I don't think he goes to our church. He's just like, man, you got a beautiful family. Enjoy. I was like, man, thank you. And then and then I started to kind of feel bad about it. I was like, man, that's like a that's like a big bill. I was like, I know you want to be generous and all. So so I I went over and I apologized to him. I was like, ah, I'm sorry, dude. I probably should have paid for that. Getting the kids ready. And I was like, oh, I just really, I went back. I was like, hey, man, I am, I am really sorry. I didn't pay for that. The hard thing is, is that Ichiban's like in the middle of my, my commute to work every day. So I passed it every day. So every day I went by, I was like, ah. So I went inside and I was just like, I, I just stopped there for like a week straight. I just stopped in. I was like, ah, listen, I just want to apologize again for not paying. The manager's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you know, like a couple days ago. So, I mean, I did it for like a week. Two weeks later, I finally felt like I could go out to eat again. It was just like, I don't know. I just felt bad. Sounds crazy, right? It is. <laughs> but this is what we do with our sin all the time. Why is this such a silly scenario? Because the guy at the restaurant already paid the bill. I don't have to go back and try to pay for it or feel bad because I didn't pay for it again and again. Why is it silly for us to keep asking forgiveness from God? Because Jesus already paid it.
This is why it is good news. Repentance that leads to refreshing is when we allow the good shepherd to be the good shepherd. He leads us on paths of righteousness, but also knowing that we don't get docked for missing the mark because the bill has already been paid. God's being, the loving God, has done something about the schism and the shift between us. He gave his son Jesus, which allows us to be transformed, become new, and be out of that comes our doing. Our standing with God, our being, is securing what Jesus has done, okay? By the way, I didn't go. I just received it. I was like, thank you, I'm out of here, right? I did not go back and, and apologize and all that because I understood the bill was paid. We don't need to ask for forgiveness. And I saw some of you when I said they're like, say, what? Is this guy a heretic? Um, some of you still trying to map, map your mind around that. We don't need to ask for forgiveness. But what do we do when we sin and fall short? We do need to repent. Godly sorrow doesn't lead to penance, though. It leads to repentance, And by penance, I mean we feel bad about, you know, like there was this time in the church in like the 15th century where monks would take whips and they'd beat themselves because they sinned. They just beat, and I'm like, what in the world? But that's what we do internally. We think that's crazy, but we do that mentally and emotionally to ourselves all the time. But repentance, and I'm not gonna go over repentance too much. Mike went over this two weeks in a row, the last two weeks. But when we repent, we turn towards the truth of who God is, and it changes our thoughts, and it changes our action. To what? To the reality that Christ is our Savior and who you are in him. Right? We often talk about repentance as turning from sin and turning towards God. But have you been in church and somebody says something and you feel like you should know what that means, but you don't, so you don't ask questions, you just do this? Praise God. <laughs> Amen. I don't know what he's saying, right? So, so, so I think a lot of times we do this. We, we, we say, hey, turn to God, repent. And what happens is we leave it ambiguous on a practical level. So what does that look like? Because how it often gets interpreted is when we say turn towards God, how this functionally plays out in our life is that we try to do more religious things and we try to earn his favor by working harder or praying harder to make up for our sin. But striving to do more religious works to appease God is the same thing as trying to pay a bill that's already been paid because we've already been forgiven. So instead of trying to work harder in what we do, a more effective and biblical way of repentance means changing our thoughts and training ourselves, not trying, training ourselves to see and live and move deeper in the reality of who we are because when we grasp that reality, it will eventually change what you do, not the other way around. Trying harder to please God is a bottomless pit because you will never be good enough. I mean, this, this, this is not, that, that's not like a, a revelation here. I mean, if we all fall short of the glory of God, right? There is no one righteous, not even one. The entire point of Jesus coming is he did what you could never do. So we simply need to relinquish control, express our need for Jesus, and walk in the identity of who we are in him. If you need a starting point for this reality, we're gonna throw up a QR code and, and keep it up there for a little bit, but this is just kind of like a quick page, page and a half of your identity in Christ. So this is just a great thing to have. If you need like a starter, a scriptural basis for who you are in Jesus, this is a great place to start. I guarantee that if you focus on these realities when you start repenting, instead of just thinking of how bad you are as a Christian, because that's not what repentance is. Repentance is turning, looking to God, being amazed by his grace, letting that transform us at the deepest part of our being, and then that, that, let, letting that dictate what we do. 
this is a much better place to start. It will go better if you remind yourself who you are and then walk out of that reality after you have sinned. So parents, if you tell your child is if you tell your child that they are worthless and they're never going to amount to anything, what happens? They live up into that identity. They assume the identity. You put a glass lid on their self-esteem and their abilities and they will live up or down to whatever reality or truth you speak over them. And listen, maybe you've been in a home like that. Maybe that's your, maybe that's your experience. And if so, I just want to say, like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, that, that should never happen in a home. That should never be what's spoken over a child. Hurt people hurt people. And so I, I apologize for that, but I also want to give some good news in the fact that, that I know of your father who has more authority than your earthly father who has told you that you have worth and you have value because you are made in his image and because of how he has created you, you are wanted and loved and valued because you simply are his, made in his image. And he wants to be with you more than anything else in the world. And it's amazing to me how often when we speak truth and reality over people, how much it affects who they are and what they do in light of that truth. You know, my mom was really good at this. She was kind of like my biggest cheerleader. And I didn't really realize it until I had kids of my own because my mom would cover and my kids didn't do anything great. They're like, Gemma, look at this. And my mom's like, oh, that was amazing. You could be a gymnast. I'm like, mom. She literally just jumped and almost fell over. Like, I mean, how is that like a, and I mean, everything they do, she's like, that is the best picture I have ever seen in my life. Have you thought about being an artist? And then it dawned on me. I was like, oh my gosh, she did this to me when I was little. <laughs> Maybe I'm not as good looking as I thought I am. Maybe I'm not as good at sports as I really am. I had a, like a life crisis because my mom had been speaking this reality over me my whole life. And I was like, is it really true? You know, it was one of those things. But man, when you speak life over people, they start to believe it. You know, there's this book called The Art of Possibility. There's a story within this book from this professor at, professor at the New England Conservatory. Right? He taught a graduate level class. It's a two semester class. It was a big deal for people's grades um, on the art of musical performance. He'd been teaching this class for 25 years and his students, he, he realized that they all were kind of like very nervous to actually go for it. He'd be like, try this big piece. They're like, ah, no. I'm, I'm. They stuck to things that were safe. They stuck to things that they knew that they could do because the whole point of the class, the art of musical performance was based on your performance. And so he thought to himself, after 25 years of teaching, he said, what if I just gave everybody an A at the beginning of the class? And he was kind of terrified because he's like, oh man, what if they just kind of like blow the class off and don't do it? He said, okay, he said, okay if you just show up and you write me a one-page paper on why you should get an A, not based on your performance, I will give you an A. And what he saw was that it actually shifted how these students took the class. All these students were no longer afraid to fail, so they took larger risks. They were more musically creative. They ex excelled greatly more than his thoughts, what he could think or imagine, or what they thought they could do, even themselves, because they were free to be who they truly were as musicians because they weren't having that frozen, uh, uh, that they weren't frozen by the fear of failure. They were freed to be who they were because they knew performance was no longer 
part of how they were being graded. They stopped living out of fear and they started working and performing out of their musical being and played out of that. You know, I think a lot of Christians today are just trying really hard not to fail and not to upset God. And that's a sad relationship to have with a God who loves you and wants you to be free. We're not judged or based on our merit. It's not given when your good outweighs your bad. This is not Christian karma. There are no scales of good and bad that we get weighed at at the end. Friends, when we realize that we have an A because of what Jesus has done for us, it changes everything. Like it changes everything. We become more loving ourselves. We become more forgiving ourselves. We become more free to be who we feel like we really are in Christ. Keywords, in Christ. But there's a beauty that when we really do believe that God in his love, who he is, sent his son to stand in the gap for your sins and that that transforms us into who we are in Christ, hidden in him, our identity renewed, life bursting forth. Man, that changes what we do. And it's a beautiful way to live. It's almost unbelievable that we can partake in a relationship with a God who loves us so greatly and has such a high expectation for what we should be and we blow it. And he says, it's all right, I've got you covered through my son. And now you can walk in that fullness. Man, that that is a game changer. So this morning, I want you to just walk in the fullness that God has given you. The Bible says, you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You're the glory. You're the lifter of my head. So many Christians walk with their heads down like, man, I wish I was better. I wish I had this. The Bible says, the Lord is the glory. I get this picture of a dad putting his hand under his son's chin and lifting it up so that he just looks him in the eyes. He just says, son, I love you. Daughter, you are my prized possession. Hmm. Imagine if we walked in that freedom in that fullness with God and with every relationship that we have, it would change everything. So Father, I'm gonna ask that you would do a miraculous work in the hearts of every person in this room, every person watching online, that we would fully embrace the identity that you've given us. That we would fully understand who you are and what you've done. And that would free us to be everything you've called us to be. It was pretty neat. One of the brothers right before um, I came up during worship came up to me and said, you know, I feel like God's wanting to do a new thing. He's wanting to do a new thing. And that the people who walk this out with him are, are going to be just like transformed and there's just gonna be like a, a freshness and a renewal there. But you've gotta break from the old, you have to go to the new. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a piece of that that I wanna kinda of dovetail into what I'm saying here. Like friends, there's a new thing that God's doing. And it could be right now in your heart, in your mind. You, you might not know Jesus and there might be the time where you say, you know what, I want to get in on that. This God who loves me, who forgives me when I 
profess faith in him and I follow his ways, life is going to absolutely be transformed in your life. But maybe you've been going to church your whole life and you've never actually accepted grace. You've just been religious. You've just been trying to be a good kid or do the right thing. It's been like a shackle on your soul. And I'm praying that this morning it's going to break off and that you're going to allow, he's going to allow you to fully experience and engage with him as father, as friend, as forgiver, as healer, as the one who loves you and desires your love. So if our microchurch leaders, our altar team, if you could come up, we really want to just make a space for you to just be with God. You know, that's what we do. That's why we gather on Sundays. We gather so that we can collectively encounter the one true and living God, experience him, be refreshed by him, to know his fullness and know his grace. And sometimes we need other people to help us do that. You know, this life of Jesus was never meant to be lived alone. I loved what Michael was saying, even just during his microchurch testimony on stage earlier, just that he's saying, man, I just needed a place to be before I believed and then after all that happened, I started doing the right thing. Maybe you just need to be with one of these up here. Maybe you just need somebody to pray. Maybe you haven't had that mother or father who said, man, I bless you and you are loved. We would love to stand in, kind of be a proxy and just say, man, we bless you and we love you. Whatever you need, Jesus can fulfill that. So if you want to start walking with him, if you want to get baptized this morning, if you need somebody to just pray with you, we are, we are here for you. So why don't you go ahead and stand. And I'm just going to bless you. I bless you right now online, in person. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I pray that his love and his mercy and his grace is going to be more real to you today than it ever has been before in your life. Lord, let your spirit and your word penetrate hearts, renew minds, and let people walk in the freedom and the fullness that you offer us. We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. And we thank you for how generous you are. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a good rest of your week. We'll see you next Sunday. We are so grateful you spent your Sunday with us online. If you're looking to get connected with us through learning more about Greenhouse or joining an online microchurch, all you need to do is text the word CONNECT to this number. We'll send you a link to help you find your place in our faith family. If you enjoyed our service, be sure to hit that like button. It helps others to find the stream online. You can also post a comment about your favorite part of the service. Another way to connect is by subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you live near one of our other greenhouse statewide locations across Florida, we'd love to see you in person next Sunday. We have gatherings in Jacksonville, Tampa, Orlando, and South Florida. See our campuses link in the description below. I hope your week is wonderful. Live green.